Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food startup world. So today's episode, we're going to jump into the ag world. Uh, Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to hear what uh, Vendor's doing. Yeah. So we're going to talk to the uh, uh, CEO, co-founder of Vendor, Sam Lilly. Sam, you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you doing? Good. Not bad. Um, Thanks for being on on the show. Um, You know, I know it's the end of the week. You probably want to get out of the office or the farm. I don't know where you're at, but just tell us um, just a little bit about, you know, just a quick little blurb about Vendor um, and then w- what you guys are trying to do. Sure. Uh, Vendor is a, essentially it's a neighbor made grocery system that is owned and operated by the very people that buy and sell it. So it's a, you can think about it as a neighbor made food system. And we launched an equity crowdfund through WeFunder, which allowed the public to buy stock, which essentially made us a high tech co-op. Mm-hmm. high-tech food co-op. And so we're looking to connect neighbors and create a localized food system that is owned by the people rather than what we currently have, which is a food system that owns the people. Got it. Okay. That's so nice. how much did you, how much have you raised um, to get this thing off the ground? We've raised a total of almost $400,000. Wow. Almost okay. $400,000. Yeah. Um, and about, over 120,000 of that has come from the WeFunder. Okay. And then how much runway does this give you? Uh, this gives us, I mean, are you talking with no revenue? This would give us yeah. about eight, 10 months of revenue or of uh, runway. Okay. Nice. Wow. Very nice. And when did you, so how old is, how old is the company? How, when did you start? So I started Vendor in June of 2016 okay. um, on my bicycle. Wow. So I went, the whole reason it got started is because I went to a town hall meeting where I learned about the positives and negatives of the town. It was a small town called Port Townsend, Washington. We only recently moved to Austin, Texas as of April of 2018. Okay. So in 2016, I went to this town hall meeting and I learned about the positives and negatives and the negative that kept coming up over and over and over again was access to local organic produce which I found very interesting because we were in in an agricultural section of Washington state. There was a lot of organic farms around. So why was there a problem accessing the local produce that was being produced 20, 30 miles away? Mm -hmm. Wow. What we found was that farmers markets in that town were only two days a week, right? Mm -hmm. Wednesdays at noon from 12 to four, Right. And Saturdays from eight to two. Right. So terrible times if you're a consumer. Now, most people in that town were working two to three jobs to make ends meet. And if you look at a normal city, that's not too far from the norm, right? Most people are working either one major full-time job and maybe a side hustle like uh, Favor or DoorDash or something or Amazon Flex. Uh, and so they didn't have time to go to the farmer's markets. And there's a co-op. You know, but it has a limited time frame as well, and the prices were a little high. And so most people were going to Safeway because it's cheap, Mm -hmm. it's convenient, it's open 24 hours. You know, the downside, though, is that you don't know where your food's coming from. Now, given you might know where, like, the country, you might know your tomatoes are coming from Mexico. You don't know what farm they're coming from. You don't know what's going into the soil. Right. You don't know the name of that farmer. 
And so I learned all about this and I walked home from this town meeting and it was June of 2016 and I saw apples growing in trees, you know, and there was, it was full apples and then apples all over the ground. And I was thinking, you know, why there seems to be this surplus. Why can't we just buy our neighbors? Mm -hmm. And so I walked up to the door and I knocked and someone opened and I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name is Sam. I happen to walk by. I see you have an apple tree. Have you ever thought about selling your apples? Mm-hmm. And Did he it? looked at me and he went, what the hell are you doing in my yard? <laughs> I was going to say, I would be like, I don't know if I would open the door. Um, I don't know what this dude wants. He looks, <laughs> yeah. he looks hungry. He he's staring at my backyard. Like, I don't know. Oh, Shows man, over the shotgun. I was yeah. looking over fences into people's backyard. I've been run out of more than one one garden. The uh, cops were looking for you. <laughs> the cops were looking for you. Like we got a guy <laughs> going over like, fences. Bad, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but so he said, you know what? If you're if you can find someone that will buy my apples, sure. Mm-hmm. Why not? Right. And so at the time, <clears throat> I was working behind the desk at a gym folding towels, filling water bottles. Uh, and it was really only part-time. I was teaching some fitness classes too. Mm-hmm. And I thought this could be the perfect place to sell apples. So everyone that walked by that desk, I said, Hey, you want some apples? Until yeah. somebody said yes. And then I showed back up with cash and I said, Hey man, I got the, that money for you. And he went, cool. Climb into the tree and get them. <laughs> 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 so I did. So I did. And then over three months, I knocked on doors. I'm talking neighbor to neighbor, six, eight hours, just knocking, knocking, broke up the city into square blocks, you know, and then crossed out squares as I went. Use Google Maps to look into people's backyards and see raised beds and geometric patterns that would look like gardens. And I was able to target home gardeners that way. Wow. And over three months, I had hand delivered over 300 pounds of produce between community members all on my bicycle. And I had used post notes on the walls. I had started the company. I had $27 in my bank account and I started for $18 and 58 cents. It was a $12 domain name and a $6.58 a month Wix website. And oh, so then everything gosh. went on. Post-it notes on my walls, all the art came down. And at the time I was living in my mom's basement. So she wasn't super happy about that, but yeah. it's gotten to where we are today. Yeah, I mean, you wow. can't really, don't downplay living at home because it's the best like thing you can do. Safety and net. Not a, little peop- not a lot of people can really are find pride in that. Like I've done that before. Like when I've been in between food startups, you know, like I have to go home. Like I can't. But I think if you're being constructive at home, like you were doing, you were definitely doing, that's good. As long as you're not down there playing Xbox all day long, then it becomes a problem. (laughs) But you're, you know, you're building a company, you know? So that was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, you know, in my mind at the time, I'm like, this is it. It's, Ah, you know, yeah. my mom's thinking like, oh, okay, this guy's on his bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, what's going? She's like, what's going on down there with the post-it notes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was. I'm not trying to downplay it. It's just, and yeah. I wouldn't be able to be where I am today if it wasn't for her allowing me to be there. Of which course, was super cool. Yeah, I mean that. That's the best. I mean, that's why you have parents. You know, right. like they'd always take you in no matter what. Like you know, they'll support you no matter what. It's it's good, but it's also good having that support system. Like a lot of people don't. Some 
some kids don't have parents to that degree that would kind of nurture them even whatever age they're at. So right, right. I think it's it's a good, you know, testament to your your family and, you know, your mom and, and all those things. So, like, you know, it's I think it's a great thing. So, yeah. And, and like I said, it's, it was a major reason of why we've been able to get here because yeah. I've been able, I was able to live there, uh, essentially rent free. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff I had to do. Yeah. Um, but it allowed me to build up what it was here. And I was taking about 80% of my paycheck from the gym uh-huh. and putting it towards a vendor. I think I was living off about $200 a month, um, which worked, right. you know, right. I don't have a problem doing that. Sacrifice you know, one. <laughs> I like right stuff. So, were you working at the? How long were you working in that gym after you sold those apples? Uh, two years. Two years. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you had to grind it out for two years. Yeah, sacrifice. That's what a lot of people don't understand about starting businesses and starting companies. And you got to get scrappy and you got to get it done. But if it's, and you got to uh, live with your parents, you got to live with your parents, and you got to put up some post-it notes. But yeah. <laughs> you have done what many people cannot trees. achieve. And you were, you know, that's kudos to you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, but it was a lot of help with the people that were around me and for my neighbors, as well as the town itself accepting of it. If it wasn't for my neighbors that agreed to let me sell their apples, this wouldn't be a thing. And if it wasn't for my neighbors that agreed to buy those apples, it still wouldn't be a thing. Right. So it was, I was very much surrounded by a support system that one, I didn't know was there initially. Yeah. And then two, once it was there, once it, we started getting, you know, doing this. Really, what it came out to was showing up. Yeah, you know, you show up in the time, people are going to support you. Right. They're going to see that you're really in it and dedicated. Uh, and so, yeah, I was working at the gym for two years. On I lived off two hundred dollars a month for two years, and wow. loved every minute of it. Right. And meanwhile, I was still teaching fitness classes. You know, so it's just like a drain. You know, physically a beat, but. Um, you know, it was, yeah, I didn't take a paycheck for two years. Not at all. Wow. You know, everything just went right back into it. Into right the business. business yeah. Which you need yeah, to. And we went from, you know, doing bicycle deliveries and me doing everything to um, a website. You know, and I designed out a website. I didn't know web design, but I taught it myself and learned Photoshop and then built out the design of the website and then had it um, uh, developed and then we launched the website the following year. At that point, I brought on an advisor, you know, um, a technical advisor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I met that technical advisor at the gym. He was one of the first customers when I was on bicycle. His name was Mark Desjardins. He had a web development company for 18 years. Uh, and nice. so when I started doing this on bicycle, I said, hey, man, I really want to start making this into a website. Can you help me out? Would you like to be an advisor? Wow. And we made it formal yeah. and uh, he helped me with the hiring process because I had never done this before. I'm a first time founder and CEO. Uh-huh. I've done smaller, you know, like my own little businesses, but nothing like formal. So he became this advisor of mine um, with his experience and helped launch this website. Now, for those of you who, you know, want to know where do you go around finding uh, an advisor if you're non-technical talk to people, you know, that's all I did. I was behind this desk at a gym and I just talked to everyone and I asked him what they did. And when he said he was a, he had a web development company, I just said, Hey, can I buy a, a cup of coffee? You know, and, and just started it. And we met every week from there 
Mark, uh, who's got a wife and four kids, is now actually my co-founder and CTO. So he's actually shut down his web development company and joined us full time. Oh, he's, wow. he's watched the full progression and um, it's been quite the journey. I'm very lucky to have him to be a part of this. That's amazing. So Sam, and now, we're, now we've raised the money, which is a journey up and on its own. That's a whole nother world. Yeah. When you don't have that kind of background. My mom was a teacher. My dad's a firefighter. Um, I don't come from this like large investor background. Um, and now we've, we've managed to raise some capital. Cool. We've got a team of about seven. Um, and we've, we're a mobile app now based off everything we learned over the two and a half <laughs> years of doing it. Uh, and now it's, it's becoming a little bit more stable. You know, I don't know if anything in the entrepreneurial life is stable. But. No, it never is until you sell it <laughs> and then you're done. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so Sam, let's take a quick little break. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to jump into kind of your, your background and kind of who you are. And then also our empathy question, which we forgot to ask. So we'll be right back, guys, uh, with a little bit more with uh, Sam Lilly from Vinder. Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food startup world. So we got Sam Lilly on the uh, podcast today. He's the co-founder CEO of Binder. Um, hey, Sam, we need to jump into a little bit more about you. Um, so let's do sure. the, our, our empathy question. Anthony's going to pick one of these cards, and then I'll read you the question and then answer it as honestly and as personal as he wants to. So, okay. Sure. All right. The question is, um, who has challenged you to be better than you once were? That's a really good question. It's a, it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, it's, you gotta, now you got to really start. It's tough because I'm thinking about it in a number of different ways. You've got advisors and your family that are all pushing you and yeah. wanting to challenge yourself and, and make you a bigger person. But I think overall, the biggest person that has challenged me to grow and become a better person and better entrepreneur uh, would just, in all honesty, I think is myself. Um, I think you have to take full responsibility and if you want to become a better person, you have to put yourself in challenging situations and challenge yourself and can't wait on others to do that for you. Um, that's a good, that's a good answer. That's good. Hey, you know, just to expand on that a little bit, I, I watched this thing of, um, it was an interview or speech that Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey had, and he said the person that he looks up to is the himself in 10 years, you know, who's the person he wants to be in 10 years. That's the person that he looks up to and you never quite get there, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that we all need to appreciate a little bit more. We should be and aspire to be the person we want to be in 10 years. And that's the person who should be challenging ourselves or us. Right. Things are like, like that people, you know, they, they kind of forget, you know, like sometimes people get kind of wrapped up in the every day or what they're doing that they forget that it, that they are improving themselves every day, you know, it's, and, or, you know, they need to work on do that, work on improving themselves. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to always kind of keep tabs on, especially if you're grinding away all the time. 
Yeah, and a lot of people will pose challenges, you know, but to, to encourage you. But I think in the end, it's really up to you to accept that challenge. And by accepting it, you're challenging yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Sam, um, just going into your, you know, your background. So, you know, what did, what did you study in college to kind of prepare you for this? Or did it not prepare you for this? Or what were you kind of first jobs that you had? Or, or the most interesting jobs that you had, I guess. Oh, man. Um, okay, so my I got a degree from San Jose State. It took me five and a half years, so I didn't graduate in four. I got a business degree. Super senior? Uh, gen- you general sure? business, yes. <laughs> um, mainly because it got me out of college faster. Uh, got it. <laughs> um, and let's see, interesting jobs I've had. Oh, I've been a valet. Um, I've never had a typical nine to five corporate job. Mm. When I got out of college, I hiked from Mexico <laughs> to Canada on the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, wow. It's uh, 2,658 miles from the border of Mexico and the United States to the, into Canada to Manning, Manning Park, British Columbia. Um, you did? I think did you do that by yourself? or? I did. I did do it solo, yeah. Wow. The first 700 miles is desert with about 20 miles between water sources. And then after you get out of the desert, you have essentially 2,000 miles of mountains what? to get into Canada. Wow. It's its, wait, it's its own trail. Like people do this, right? It's not like you're like, yes. I'm it's going like, from it's here like, to here. It's like the Appalachian Trail uh, on the okay. East Coast. Yeah. Okay. People like, so you run into some people doing the same hike maybe? That's correct. So most people leave April 22nd. Uh, which is Earth Day, and it's kind of like the big launch. Wow. But I left May 25th because I had to finish uh, my last finals. I didn't even walk in my my college graduation. I took my last final, and I headed down to San Diego right after that. (laughs) I had my own walk to do. I was already already there five and a half. You're like, I'm not going to waste (laughs) – I'm not wasting any more energy here. I got to hike. (laughs) I got to make it for five years. Wow, that's impressive. I don't know if I could ever do that. That's for sure. I think you could. I think everyone has the ability to. It's it's um, it comes down to kind of Simon Sinek's why. You know the re- the reason I initially started it uh, was because my stepbrother and I had done about a three day backpacking trip and thought that was super cool and that we would love to do that for months. A uh, little bit, and then we saw this pamphlet for the PCT and the, which is the Pacific Crest Trail yeah. and thought that would be a cool thing to do once we graduate. Right. Well, a three-day hike and a five-month hike is far different. <laughs> wow. And the idea of it being cool faded within probably the third day of being in the desert of 105 degrees vomiting water. <laughs> I'm always getting I'm always getting lost, so I feel like I'd make the wrong turn and end up like in like. <laughs> is is the trail is the trail obvious? So it's not like you can get lost, or like you need to you need to come like you need to know where you go like. How, so what's I, the level of difficulty we're talking about? Um, it's a paved trail. Okay. The level of difficulty, I would say, is hard. Um, but it's, it is a paved, not paved as far as asphalt, but um, yeah, yeah. there's a path. So as long as you don't get off the path, you're fine. I did take Map and Compass with me yeah. because I'm, I'm more comfortable with that. There is an app you can download to make sure you're on a trail. Mm. But that experience, I mean... Being the solo, when when shit went south, right? When you're in the desert and with no one around you, 
and you're vomiting water, you know, it, you get, it gets scary when you're, when you're in a blizzard, I had to do 20 miles through a blizzard in Oregon. And, uh, oh again, God. nobody around me, I sweated through my down jacket. I was shivering. Um, I was worrying about, you know, hypothermia or pneumonia. Um, and when you're in storms like that, these are scenarios where you, you can't control them. You just have to deal with them and take the best route possible and then internalize a lot of that stuff and make sure that you can go forward in a clear mind. Um, and that has allowed me to endure or allowed me to learn how much I can endure. Mm. And that transfers over into starting a business very, very well. Right. Um, you know, water essentially is capital. Without water or without money, you die. Mm -hmm. right. And in the beginning, right, in the beginning of a startup is very much like starting in the desert <laughs> where you've got no capital, right. you know, and you've got a long distance to go before you may even see any kind of revenue stream. And no clear path, really. You know, you and have no to kind of make your clear path. You got to make right. your own path. Yeah. And maybe not a lot of people around you that, that are doing the same thing. Right. Your friends may not be doing it, so they may not be able to help you. Uh, so I fall back quite often, almost daily onto this experience. And when things go south in the business world, you know, it's not nearly as bad as when things go south out in nature. When, you know, when you have a problem, man, you can have a hot meal and a beer. Exactly right. right. You, right. Can, you can escape to the bar. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my that's my path. <laughs> that's usually where I go. That's your trail. Yeah, that's my trail. I, I I'm I'm gonna try to go to every bar on the East Coast and wash away my uh, problems <laughs> with the beer. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, you are you're basically training your your mind as well. You know, like physically, obviously, it's enduring, but like it's mental, right? At, at, at the heart of it, right? Sure. Yeah, and that's the that's the interesting thing is like I trained. Before the hike, I trained for six months. I wore a 40-pound weight vest every day. Like, I went to class in this thing. I went to work in this thing. I went grocery shopping because I had to get my back and legs ready for it. Yeah. And in the first, you know, two, three weeks, I was averaging 20, 25 miles a day. Uh -huh. And so, like, initially, it sucked. Yeah. But then your body gets used to it. And in the long term, it's a mental game. Right. Is forty pounds? Is forty pounds the? Is that like the optimal weight to carry? Uh, no, no. I mean, you just thought forty. I'd like to carry like five. Five pounds, know? but like, I mean, like you need but, to carry certain. There's certain things that you need to carry with you, right? So correct. It's, it's your typical average. Your average backpack weighs five. Right. You know, five pounds. You know, right. my tent weighed right almost two pounds. You know, you've got fourteen pounds of food. I right. was in the desert, so I carried six liters, which is roughly twelve pounds of water. Um, so it, it added up. Right. Hmm. Which again is much like startup life. You know, you have these things that you have to carry with you, and they cause they add weight. You know, they they add resistance. And a lot of times when I think about a startup, I think that it's like running, running at full sprint with a parachute on your back. Right. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> let's, um, so Sam, let's, let's talk about, I guess the, um, the growth so far. So you said you raised, you know, total about $400,000. What sort of growth uh, or growing pains have you had throughout, you know, the duration of the, of the business? 
Yeah, you know, learning, a lot of it is, you know, when you're building the mobile app, that's a lot of that's just development, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. development is tech is not my thing. Um, but initially when you start, you might be a little cash trap, so you can only afford people that have a certain skill set. Uh, and then you have to kind of teach them along the way. If they can get you from point A to point B, that's great. And then once you get to point B, you know, the creation of the platform, okay, now you might need to bring on more team members, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's the dynamic that's going to happen when you start growing as a team and the internal um, relationships that form? You know, some people, which we've had the case of, um, can't adjust to growth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. won't relinquish some uh, roles or responsibilities that they may have had you know, being a solo developer on the project or something that it's their baby. Right. But ultimately what you need to do is be able to trust the other team members that are brought in and start delegating because overall it makes the overall system, the business, the, you know, the machine work far more smoothly and you have a reduction of um, centralized power, which if you have as, you know, centralized power. I think that can just lead to a lot of problems, Mm. which may be, you know, the downfall of some startups, Mm -hmm. you know, is you have this centralized power with the developer, if you're a non-technical person, and then if they leave, you kind of feel screwed. Right. So you want to be able to mitigate that by having a lot of people, but it's a cash 22 because the only way to get a good amount of people is by having a good amount of capital. Yes, if you don't have a good amount of capital, you can't do that. So yeah. there's baby steps. And, and a lot of it is, you know, taking a big picture thing and breaking it down into small sections. Right. So, so it's a good example segue into the hike is, you know, the hike is 2,658 miles long, but I only did it in five to seven day sprints. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I got to that destination and I was like, okay, cool. What do I need to do to get to the next one? You know? Right. And then you you go step by step by step while taking the hits and eating, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says that you got to eat shit for a while. Yeah. You got to eat a lot of shit. I mean, that's, that's kind of the start of a lot of great stories. And like people don't really understand that it's not as glorious as it is. And also breaking down something as, as, laborious as like that that trail you need to break it down step by step day day to day you know sprint by sprint in order to really achieve that goal and it's it's hard for people to kind of see that if they're like oh you did this or like oh it's gonna take you forever or you know yeah in today you know today's world it's like everything has to be done in a certain way no one wants to you know, yeah. no one wants to take the hard path to it's, get anything done. It's done in a certain way, but also it's done in like in a very superficial and like fake sense that like everyone thinks it's glorious. Like, right. you know, people, you know, shoot themselves with like cars and planes and all that shit. Right. Like they don't know that it's it's not that glamorous. You right. Know, it's not. It's not any of those. They want to they want to look good while they're they're putting in the work and sacrificing yeah. and you can't do both. You can't do those things at the same time, you know? No, no I think you gotta, you know, become very Spartan and minimalistic. Exactly. I mean, just to be, you know, transparent and honest with you guys at one point, I was sleeping in my van for four months, making sure that this thing that we had enough capital, I mean, I'm willing to sacrifice for that to make sure that my guys get paid and make sure this thing works. And while I was doing that, I was able to raise a lot more money. Yeah. You know? Right. right. But, 
is she is that glorious is that you know something that you want to be i don't know presenting mm. i don't mind personally yeah. i don't mind but i think what the mass public has or at least you know um first-time entrepreneurs or you know people who want to become entrepreneurs they have this idea that it is this glamorous life of um, galas and what they see on the show silicon valley (laughs) (laughs) right yeah right um so sam let's uh take a quick little break and then when we come back let's talk more about vendor um how people can get involved or start using it um and we'll go from there absolutely Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado. We're talking with Sam Lilly, co-founder CEO of Vinder. Um, so Sam, let's jump into the, the, the app and kind of where you guys are as far as um, you know how people can use it. You know, what's kind of the best best way of kind of getting involved? And um, it seems like you're you also finished the campaign. So is there any more need for capital at this point? Yeah, so we actually oversubscribed the first tier of the WeFunder campaign. Okay. Uh, we've been able to raise over $107,000 through the WeFunder, wow. but we're actually going to be extending that cap to uh, $500,000. Hmm. So okay. those of you who are still interested can buy equity, can buy shares of the food system, which is essentially owning your food system by going to WeFunder.com slash vendor. Mm-hmm. I think minimum buy-in is 100 bucks, Great. and you get 100 shares. Wow, that's that's good. Um, we also have uh, for um, those of you who are actually entrepreneurs out there, business owners, and want to actually raise um, funds as well. You can go to bootlegavocado.com. We have a link to Vendor um, if you want to start your own campaign. Um, so Sam, so how do people use the app? Like, what what's kind of your ideal customer? How have you know people? Have you gotten people to kind of really get some traction on there and experience it? Sure. So. You can think about it as a neighbor-made food system. We're looking for small producers, your small farmer, urban farmer, backyard gardener, home baker. These are the type of people that can sell through a vendor. And you sign up. It's free to sign up. It's free to sell. We charge the buyer 20%. Mm. Um, it's essentially it's their own store for the seller. Uh, and how it works is you go online, you open up the app, download the app, sign up. And you click a little plus button and then add the products that you have right there. And as a buyer, you can download the app. You see a map of all the sellers in your area, mm-hmm. typically within a 15-mile radius. Right. The average time from dirt to door is 30 minutes. Uh, so you see a map of all the farmers mm-hmm. or sellers in your area. You see a list of products underneath. You click on the product, choose the quantity, and check out. Great. So like, then, so if I'm, yeah. if I'm growing tomatoes this summer or whatnot, um, I know I'm going to have X amount. I know the type I'm making. Do I need to identify like if it's pesticide free or what you add to it? Like, you know, are those things like that important? And then also, am I in charge of, I'm in charge of delivering it to the consumer, correct? So, yeah, when you sign up as a grower, we have you run through an onboarding that has you identify what kind of growing methods you use. You know, is it organic or is it certified organic or is it non-certified organic, which most home gardeners are. Most small urban farmers are non-certified. 
but that doesn't mean they're not organic. It's there's a lot of details that go into and cost to become a certified organic gardener. And a lot of the people I've talked to actually won't get certified because they think it devalues their crop um, based on uh, the permissions that USDA puts on. Uh, they just don't think the USDA is a great um, organization. Mm. Uh, so when you sign up, that gets a little sidetracked. So when you sign up, you can do certified organic, non-certified organic, hydroponic, aquaponic, raised beds, in-ground. Uh, it completely creates this transparent system. Yeah. You can put in the amendments you use, whether it's a seaweed amendment, if it's chicken manure, aged horse fertilizer, you know, aged horse manure, alpaca manure. Uh, if you use a mycelium amendment, it really gets into how your food is being grown. That way, when you do make a purchase, you know who's growing it, where it's being grown, and how it's being grown, which is something you don't get at the grocery store. Of course. Wow. Right. right. I mean, you can't get more local than that, right? No. It's the freshest produce, most local <laughs> produce on earth. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Cool. So what's delivery, just to, to touch on that, delivery right now is handled between the users. So because it's so close, you can go over and pick it up yourself, yeah. which gives you this incredible experience and connection because you get to meet the person firsthand who grow, grew your produce, which is also a neighbor, mm -hmm. right? So it creates this connection back in the community. Uh, yeah. Then you get to see the garden or farm in which your food was grown. Wow. You can get your hands in the soil. They'll tell you all about it. They're all proud mm -hmm. of the product that they are growing and the operation that they have built. Or you can have the order delivered to you by the gardener for a delivery fee that's set by the grower. How do you? How are you? How do you? Um, how do you guys tackle sort of the seasonality of things or bad weather? How does that affect um, the overall system that you're creating? Oh, greatly, because it really is a seasonal app, you know, app, right. uh, at least for raw products. So if you're talking raw fruits and veggies, right, right uh, that is very seasonal. But if you start dipping into value-added goods, you know, canned jams, honeys, breads, right, you know, that is stuff that you can go through the winter <clears throat> with. Right. And what's great is, is, is in Texas, the cottage food law in Texas allows you to sell up to $50,000 without any business license or health inspection oversight. As long as you have the label, uh, it's fine. And the label is, you know, your address, some allergens, and um, a statement that says this was in a home kitchen and not inspected by a health inspector. And that's great because, like, I mean, that's really how things worked anyway. You know, when when the weather got cold or, you know, people canned, you know, they, they canned their tomatoes, they preserved, they made jams. All that stuff, which is, I mean, it's still the same product, just in a different form. Yeah, and this isn't new. Right. You know, right. this isn't new. And Vendor wasn't made to be this end-all, be-all, major disruptive app that's just going to take over <laughs> the grocery outlet. No, not wait, at all. Wait, Vendor was so created as a solution. So you didn't raise all this money because you said you're disruptive? <laughs> no, actually, you, I never said I've never said that in any of my pitches. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, no, so, Vendor is a solution. It's it's one solution, right. one of many. That is this overall 
trying to fix this overall problem of a broken food system because buying local was is not new. This is something we did 60 to 100 years ago. You go back to, to what, 1919, mm. right? You're getting local stuff. You're, you're, you're canning, you know? So this is just, it's an old innate system that is very natural to us, but we're just using modern technology and it's unfortunate that we have to relearn this kind of connection to our food system, which has been broken um, since we started doing large scale industrial agriculture and going to more of these supermarkets that are very, it's an isolated purchasing of buying experience. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's very clean, sterile, wrapped in plastic, right. uh, and everything's accessible all the time. Yeah. You know, so most people don't understand that they can't get blackberries or blueberries in February. <laughs> right, right. So Sam, uh, before we kind of end the, you know, this, this episode, um, so what's kind of the big picture for Vendor? You know, at the end of the day, what are you guys trying to build and to what extent? We're trying to build a food system, a neighbor-made food system that is created by the people and owned by the people. Nice. I like that. There it is. Yeah. And also, what's your favorite barbecue place in Texas? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have two, uh, <laughs> and I'm not getting any endorsement paychecks for any of this. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's two. Yeah. One of them is Sam's Barbecue. It's not mine. <laughs> Where is it? Uh, it's in Austin, Texas. As I believe it's off 12th Street. Okay. He just turned down a $2 million offer wow. to keep his restaurant. Nice. It's, um, it's a small little shack. Uh, not shack, but it's a small little building made of wood, kind of leaning over. Okay. They've been there for years and years and years. Just incredible barbecue. Nice. The second place would be La Barbecue. Uh, that is also in Austin, Texas. All right. On our list. Yeah, you can get beef ribs that look prehistoric. No. You <laughs> we're, get one we're, we're going. It's, you we're going market now. price, and it's just glorious. Yeah. Well, if we make it down to Austin, we definitely gotta. You know, we'll, you'll be our uh, Sherpa to, on the barbecue barbecue circuit. I will be your Sherpa. You've got a place to stay if you need one. And, yeah. we, and we definitely get some produce too. <laughs> That's for sure. Oh, I can get you the freshest produce. Actually, what we could do is go on a farm tour. Oh, like, that'd be awesome. The local gardens and urban farmers. Some of these. What's fascinating is in Austin, you got all these urban farmers and small producers, but you got them growing on such a massive scale as far as yield. Yeah. So you got guys that are doing like a quarter to a third of an acre. Uh -huh. Now these are in neighborhoods, right? Yeah, yeah. Front yard, backyard, side yard. They tore up, they tilled over their, their soil, they planted, right? And they're crushing eight to ten thousand dollars a month. Wow. Magic. And this is in a neighborhood. Like you wouldn't know. And then you go into the backyard and it's boom, this this high production, high yield farm. Uh -huh. And like, you know, red zebra striped tomatoes, green zebra striped tomatoes, Armenian cucumbers, all sorts of stuff. And it wow. is just incredible to see. And you wouldn't notice because it's just people, I think, overlook the home garden. But if you look at it on a grand scale, that is a lot of agricultural production. Wow. Impressive. And it's something that we could be redistributing back into the community. In Austin, 99% of the produce consumed in Austin is imported. So less than 1% is actually produced in Austin. But if you look at all the home gardeners with what they're producing, we have enough to actually supply the city. Damn. Unbelievable. 
That, I mean, that's just great. And I think you're probably going to start introducing people to gardening too, like people that have no experience with gardening and say, you know what, maybe I'm going to try doing this on my own as well yeah. and just getting oh, scrappy yeah. and getting it done. Yeah. There's so oh, much information yeah. out there. The, one example would be Kelsey Mitchell. She went over and bought some carrots from this guy, Chris, right? Lived half a mile from her. She drives over, meets Chris for the first time. Boom. Neighbor connection, community connection. Chris has raised beds, shows Kelsey the raised beds, and she had bought Walla Walla onions that were the size of my head. This guy grew some gnarly onions, wow. and she bought carrots. She had never seen carrots growing in the ground before. Wow! So she got to see, you know, the green carrot tops sprouting out of the out of the soil. And then Chris said, "Hey, go ahead and reach in and grab the carrots you want." And so the first time in her life, she reached into the soil and grabbed the carrots and pulled out the carrots that she was going to eat later that night. She has now started planting, planting produce. Wow. Oh my God. This, it, what it does is it's, it changes people's lives and creates a connection back into the community that we used to have and allows us to understand really how our food is being grown and really what goes into it. It's, it's really um, stunning to see and listen to the experiences that have come out of something like this, yeah. especially because it was, it wasn't, I never saw this being something massive. I saw this just as a possible solution to a problem that my town had and having started it on bicycle and to go to where it is now is nuts. And to be able to have the system that is now owned by the very people that started it to create a food system that is owned by us is, is fascinating. And I think that is truly where we're, where the future of food is going to be. That's incredible, Sam. So let's, let's kind of leave it there. Um, I think that's the best plug ever. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah. So Sam, where can people find you, uh, download the app and all those things? Sure. You can go to the app, uh, www.vendor.com. Uh, you can contact me at sam at vendor.com. You can download the app on iOS and Android. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can contact me. Please, if you if people have questions, I'm available. I'm open to talking. I actually really enjoy, love uh, meeting and listening to other people's stories and learning about how they farm and garden. Great. Thanks, Sam, for being on the episode. Thank you, Sam. Uh, that was Anthony, awesome. Real quick about Speak Feast. Yeah, I got to really like – be a little better at like plugging my stuff. I just think it's just not really that good. Um, so I'm Chef Anthony Nichols on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and see what I do with food. Um, I have quite a few things going on, some consulting. Um, I really need to work on my website, which is www.speakfeast.com, but you can get in contact with me. Um, and I have my uh, tentacles and all kinds of things, uh, namely uh, the Speak Feast um, show, which is on YouTube, our first episode. Um, and uh, take a look and comment and, and reach out. Cool. And I'm Mari Rodriguez from Bootleg Avocado, um, helping scale your food startup on the culinary and operations side. Um, if you're an entrepreneur or business owner looking to um, you know raise some funds, please go to our website, bootlegavocado.com. There's a link to the uh, WeFunder uh, to start your own campaign today. Um, thanks, for Sam, for being on this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with a different entrepreneur, with a different story. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Have a good afternoon.